If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Didi! How you doing today? You've been outside this week, my friend. Oh, yeah, girl. I've, I've had quite a few <laughs> events. I've been attending some birthday parties, some events, uh, and all of them, we've, we've all had a good time. It was, such a, it was such a fun time to be out this week. I despite, know. Despite the weather, because the weather's been here, has been a little wonky. I've heard, and you Californians uh, don't know how to respond to bad weather. Meanwhile, us New Yorkers live with it all the time. Um, yeah, I, I want to just cradle in my bed all day while it's raining and hailing and wind is blowing. I'd rather not be outside. I got that. I got that. Well, it's a good thing that it's uh, uh, you can be cozy inside for for this recording. But I, I could I couldn't be cozy on National Margarita Day though. Like we, I had to go out with <laughs> a few margs because you know that's our drink of choice. Yes, our oh favorite. I like sweet. You like a little smoky. Smoky, yes, with some mezcal and no sweet. <laughs> a little he- sweet. Heavy like on the it. heavy on the liquor pour. <laughs> yes, I, I I like it like me. You know, a little uh, smoky <laughs> and strong with a little bit of sweetness. You know. Um, just a smidge, smidge, everyone. She doesn't like sweet drinks at all. I'm the sweet drink connoisseur. Uh, Give me all the sugar, the juice. (laughs) Juice. You love a, you know what? What I would love to do is we have our like thing that we do when we get together. Like I can order for you and you can order for me. Mm -hmm. I would love to go on a margarita, like sipping tour across the country. I mean, we kind of do that when we travel together anyway. Oh, I know. I, <laughs> I know. know. Just the best margaritas in the world. Oh, love them so that much. That will be good. And at, at this one particular party, there was this watermelon margarita. And the, it was fresh. It was You could tell like really fresh margarita. I mean, uh, watermelon juice. And then it had this watermelon in it. That was the most delectable. It, I don't even think it's watermelon season right now, but it was such a really good margarita. I mean, watermelon. It was oh, so delicious. So good. so good. Knowing you, you probably added sugar to the rim if you could. <laughs> I would. I would have, but I did not. It actually needed, though. It was It was literally one of the best margaritas I've ever had. And oh, that's, my. That's saying a lot. My goodness. Um, well, you know, we are going into the weekend. So I wonder, though, if our guest today she must be a margarita fan i feel like she is actually because we actually one of the first times i met the amazing joy brown was cousin cousin joy was we went to she picked out a mexican uh restaurant we had lunch and i was like are we having margaritas she's like of course we're having margaritas and we had margaritas and they were delicious and if memory serves me correctly, I want to say she was more on your level of, um, actually, no, I think she likes sweet like me, because we both had, I think, a good strawberry margarita. And it was just so yummy. Well, we are going to have to ask her about that just to clear this up, because I wonder if she's more Team Didi Margarita or Team John Margarita. This this inquiring minds need to know. We really need to know. And I want to say she's she's going to be on my side, but we'll, we'll see. And another thing that we, uh, Joy and I have in common is our love, capital L-O-V-E, 
for the original Queen Bee, Lil' Kim, shall I proceed? Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, so she asked, it's funny too, because when we were, again, when we were talking over Margarita, she was telling me about her, her amazing time in the music industry at Atlantic Records. And I was like, did you work with Lil' Kim? during the 1997 era ever. Like, I was, like, going in. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, this car, mind you, this is a business meeting. And I'm like, screw, uh-uh, we ain't got to talk about all that. Now. So tell me about Kim. <laughs> like, it was just, like, so, it. it was so great. And so I don't know who's the bigger fan, me or her. Another friendly competition we can get into. Uh, because uh, she definitely, she knows all the things about my girl. Oh, I can't wait. You know, I've already teed up a little a little trivia for you two. Uh-oh. I know you tried to get me on the Sus One um, Scream trivia by cheating a tad bit, but I'm not letting you uh, do that this time. Also, so- I mean, you know what? Actually, too, I'm, it's just your turn to be on the contestant side playing the game. So I need you on our next guest. And I have a little idea, too. I'm going to be quizzing you about a topic as well. So you need to get make sure you're brushed up on just all things. John, my memory is terrible, so good luck. <laughs> I know what I'm doing when Fair I tee up these <laughs> I know what I'm doing when I tee up these competitions between you and our guests. That's why I like to ask the questions, because I can't remember anything anymore. Okay, well get ready to be in the hot seat, Missy. Oh, hilarious. Well, I love it. I can't wait to welcome Cousin Joy Brown to the podcast. Oh, my God, Didi. I'm so excited to dive into our conversation with Joy Brown, who is the former head of strategic partnerships at ICM and spent 21 years at Atlantic Records. She also has worked strategically with some of the world's leading brands, such as Beats by Dre, Jack Daniels, L'Oreal, Verizon, Google, Microsoft, and she's worked with some of the biggest names in music, including Cardi B, Bruno Mars, Janelle Monet, Brandy, my personal fave, Lizzo, Missy Elliott, the list goes on and on and on. She is the founder and CEO of Culture Creators, which is a small but giant connector of cultural pioneers to the new creators of culture that curate impactful and meaningful engagements, amplifying the voices of people of color, Globally, from the high school to the boardroom. Welcome, Joy Brown, to Black on the Scene. We are so, so, so happy to have you. How are you feeling today, girl? I am good. I, I, you know, I can't complain. I can, but I'm not. So I'm, I'm well. <laughs> Amen to that. And and you look great. I see this lip you got on and this hair yeah, flowing. <laughs> you guys. I even comb my hair for y'all. Oh, uh, we yes. love it. We love it. Tell us what lip color that is. You know, actually, I don't know the color, but I will say this. This is a color from my late friend, AJ Crimson. Oh, oh. AJ. Yeah. Love yes. AJ. Rest in peace, yeah. AJ. Love yeah. him. So I match my jacket. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love it. Love it. So Cousin Joy, as I like to call her, only because we have the same last name, but I'm pretty sure we're not actually related. Joy, you're people from Alabama. I have people in Alabama. Uh-oh. I have to find out where, but yeah. I, girl, yeah, we're all from the South. Let's do yes. a let's do a little a Henry Louis Gates connection guy. Oh my goodness. I will have yeah, people in Alabama, North and South Carolina, New Orleans, you know, all from the South. Some of them migrated up to 
um, Detroit. You know, that's the, that's the, was the second run holler renaissance. Um, and then most still stayed in the South. Wow. Well, we're definitely going to have to deep dive on that later, but before we do, I have to settle a little bit of dispute between you and John, because I understand that when you all got together without me and had margaritas, there were things shared about your mutual love of Lil' Kim. And John likes to consider himself the Lil' Kim's number one fan. And I know you know a little bit of about her from your days at Atlantic Records, being in the music industry, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought we'd do a little Lil' Kim trivia. And oh, keep in mind, there's absolutely no prize at the end of this. It's just bragging rights. It's just bragging rights. So Joy, I'm sorry in advance. Oh, I'm going oh, to win this. You probably will. My Lord. <laughs> I was going to do a wrap off. And then her lyrics, you know, this is a family show. So we try to keep it, uh, you know, PG, or at least PG-13. So that mm-hmm. wasn't going to work. So I thought I'd just ask a few questions about the amazing Lil' Kim. Okay, here we go. Lil' Kim's, and they're going to be multiple choice. Uh-oh. Lil' Kim's height is actually... 4'11". 4'11". Done. Drop yeah, the mic. That's how you play the game. Excuse you. I did not read the options. Four eleven. I know her height. I know July eleventh was her birthday. Let's keep going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is this won't be multiple choice. We'll okay. see who right. Lil Kim has sold how many records? worldwide was it 10 million 15 million or 20 million albums worldwide that's a good one if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip it was just a really long drive at participating mcdonald's I was saying B, 15. Yeah, don't be over there Googling. Oh, I would say Googling. 20. Joy? Oh, I, I said first. I, I said I can't remember, but I would say, I would venture to say probably in the middle, I'll go 15. Joy, you won this round? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we only can, you, can you quote? Can you quote where that source is from? Because I believe it's. Oh, oh my it goodness! Not, and it's also know. when was the when was the when was the quote uh, the number? Are you released? are you a sore loser? I am being I am being one thousand percent sore loser. <laughs> you got the first two before she even asked asked for the answers. Correct. Okay. What Montreal-based luxury company is she now the fabulous spokesperson for? Is it Mason Margiela, Marnie, or Makaj? Makaj. Yeah. Okay. John is actually correct. Okay. (laughs) We're two two to one here. This is the last question. Are you ready? Do not scream out the answer, John. Is... Lil Kim's middle name, Dolores, 
Denise. I would have got that one right. Can we do Houston? You know what's funny? Because I know Joy's a huge Whitney Houston fan, and I knew that, and I was like, I can't. I was not going to beat her. So I was like, I can't. Tell me that he set me up, Joy. He set me up. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Oh my god. Well, thank you. John, I can't call you the winner because you cheated. So you're going to be docked some points. And we should just give it to our guest anyway, because she has taken time out of her busy, busy schedule to, I mean, busy schedule, mom of two teenage daughters, a newlywed who absolutely was radiant at her wedding. And she's an entrepreneur God only knows, and she's on a couple of boards. She's like out here doing the thing. So Joy, let's start at the beginning. Tell I, us, who was little Joy growing up and how did she come to love music and entertainment? Ooh, that's a great question. Okay, Oprah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, little Joy was someone who, my, who grew up in Detroit and... By the time I was 10 and 11, I moved to New Jersey. Um, I went from having all this family around me, growing up in Motown music, you know, between gospel music, country music, um, R&B music, you know, music was like the soundtrack of my life, just from, you know, my experience with family. I remember being, um, you know, living with my grandparents. My grandparents watched the Grand Ole Opry. And we're really big into country music because, you know, we're from the South and that was kind of part of, you know, the the transition to R&B and other music. And, you know, Sunday, Sunday soul food dinners with all the family coming over. We played music. You know, we had birthday parties. You know, the adults played bidwis and, and spades. And so it was a soundtrack of our lives. And so when I moved uh, to New Jersey, it kind of took me away from, you know, the things that gave me comfort. And I used to lose myself in music. And that was my, that was my comfort zone. That was my safe space. You know, um, I didn't know it then, but I was a creative person. And so I could lose myself in the lyrics. You know, I like to imagine myself what the person was singing about or how it felt to sing. You know, I used to scream up in my room. I I, I say scream because I couldn't sing, Um, you know, and and it was, it was like my therapy. Um, it, It was just something um, that translated into my love of dancing. Um, when I, I started, you know, dancing, like every little girl, you know, your parents put you in ballet classes, but I was, it was, it was, that was my escape between music and dancing and dancing was a way that my body expressed what I was feeling and what I was thinking. And so it, it just became part of me, a part of my DNA. And then when you st- when you went to Howard, uh, for undergrad, uh, and went to school there, which Howard University is, this, you know, you it just this big gold shiny star in the sky of like just a lot of great talent have has yeah. has come from there. Chadwick Boseman, Taraji B Henson, I mean Felicia Rashad, like it's a lot of it's just, it's it's a melting pot of mecca. Talk to me about you have this love of music and like now in kind of going into your young adult life. What role did your your time at Howard play into that? Did it? push it up a little bit more? Did it pull it back a little bit more? Um, 
Well, you know, I actually, what I left out is that when I was in high school, I wanted, you know, fame was the thing <laughs> and I wanted to be in fame. And so there was not a pro, there was no fame necessarily that I could get to, but there was a program. So I danced and auditioned um, for this performing arts program. And, and so I danced through high school. I went to high school part-time. And so, um, you know, we used to go to Alvinelli, take classes, um, Broadway Dance Center, take classes and workshops and master classes. And then I thought I wanted to be a dancer. And then when I got to Howard, my parents were like, um, you know, the dancer's career don't last that long. You need to figure out something else to do. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop dancing. So I joined the dance ensemble, which is like a theater, like a, like a, like a, uh, a dance troupe. And, um, and then I did that for two semesters. I studied with them and then I became a band dancer, um, with the band. Um, cause I thought these girls, I said, these girls are banging, they hot, you know, and it was just fun, you know? Um, dancing with dance ensemble was, was, was a continuation of my study of dance and study of, uh, of dance styles. Um, but the, the, uh, commitment was a little bit rigorous, um, where the band, you can get scholarships and it could help you with your tuition. And so I, I still danced and then I studied political science, um, to make my parents kind of happy, um, because they were like, you can't study dance in school. I want you to get something else. And so I loved it until I decided I didn't want to go in politics. So then I thought I wanted to be Oprah. Um, so I studied broadcast journalism and then realized that I hated journalism, but I needed it to graduate. So I just did it. <laughs> no, but that's really interesting because joy, it feels like you're combining with and I'm skipping around, but you're combining all of those loves of culture and entertainment, obviously, into what you're doing now. And there's some politicking that sort of goes on across Absolutely. agency life and uh, the record industry. So how do you get to the record industry from dancing, loving music and leaving Howard? So I stayed in D.C. after I graduated. I worked for Howard University for a year no, two years. And then I worked as a contractor for the Department of Defense where, you know, most people in DC end up working for the government. And I hated it. It was no creativity in it. I realized that I need to be in a creative environment. I had an internship actually at BT and it, and I fell in love with, uh, you know, that creative environment, being able to like, I wasn't, you know, I was never starstruck, you know, um, but I was more like, oh, okay, how can I, jazz up this interview because I used to write interview, interview questions and log tapes and stuff like that. And because I had it, you know, I had to do it for, um, my internship credit and, um, it helped me see that there was a, there's a way into the industry, um, with my love of music. Um, and by this time I wasn't dancing anymore, you know, I was trying to be, be an adult, but there was something missing. I just knew something was missing in my life. I started dating a party promoter. Um, and, um, you know, we started throwing parties and I saw what he was doing. And I was like, I could do this myself when we broke up. So I used to call record labels and say, Hey, who do you have coming in town? Um, cause you know, every artist comes to DC, like who you have coming in town, promoting a new record. I would do this party every, you know, Friday night come through. And at this time, like Puffy has, um, 
what bad boy records is, you know, and, and if you went to Howard, everyone knows this, you can use that Howard card, right? So, you know, bad boys full of Howard people. So I used to say, Hey, from Howard university, I I knew a couple of people casually that, you know, I met through through a friend who um, was from New York and just networked. And, um, one day I, I decided, I said, I'm not happy. I just need to be around. I need to be around music. I need to be in a creative environment. And so I quit my job and I um, moved in with a girlfriend to save up money for like a month. And I was going to move up. I, I, I just moved to New York. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I met a, 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 a friend of mine was a background singer. She uh, would go up. I went up with her. I met a girl who lived in White Plains. Um, she had a one-bedroom apartment. She agreed to let me sleep on her floor um, to help her with her rent. And I gave myself, I said, I knew at the end of the day, like, I'm not um, too proud to work at McDonald's. I'm not too proud to, you know, work retail. I said, I'm going to give myself um, a month to get a job. I'm not telling my parents. Um, and... You know, no, I didn't tell them I moved. I just moved because I knew they would talk me out of it. Um, and I said, you know, I'm going to, if I was going to wait tables or whatever I need to do, I was going to do it. I was going to figure it out. First of all, I love these New York hustle stories because when you move to New York, especially when you're young and you have no money, everybody that we've talked to over the past uh, couple of seasons that came to New York, they came to New York with like, a dream and zero money from like small towns, et cetera, et cetera. And they did so much of what you're doing. And then most of it was pre like internet. Most of it's like, Oh "Oh, yeah, yeah, I found a roommate on Craigslist and you just use the resources that you have. No Mm -hmm. internet, no cell phone. Mom and daddy didn't know. So how long before you land that job at the, and then, did you end up waiting tables? How are you making well, it? So let me back up a little bit because I'm not trying to, you know, talk forever. But so what I left out was I was trying to break into the industry while I was in D.C. And it just was not working. I even changed my address, asked to use the girl's address in White Plains. That wasn't working. A friend of, a friend of mine, he and I used to take the Greyhound bus from D.C. to New York, come up for like Thursday night, go to a party, Friday morning, sit in somebody's lobby to pass out our resume and then hop on the bus and then go to work late. One time I went to Puffy's party. I, I, it was Terminal 5 now, but I forgot what it's called back in the day. I literally went to work in my club clothes, changed in the bathroom into my work clothes. I didn't even sleep. I slept on the Greyhound, got off the bus, brushed my teeth in, in, at work, changed my out of my club gear into work gear and went to work. I don't know how I did that. I <laughs> worked eight hours. Because you were but, young yeah. and hungry and yeah, excited. Yeah. Yeah. So and so, so that never worked. That never yeah. worked. No one was hearing me. No one was calling me back. So I knew I had to move. Um, and I, interesting enough, um, I, one of the acquaintances I knew was Derek Dudley. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's Common's longtime manager from Chicago. And he went to Howard and I called him. I got his number from somebody. I can't remember who I called him one day. I said, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I, you know, I want to be in the music industry and, you know, I, you know, I know you manage common. Do you have any advice? Da, 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 da. And I was telling him what my plan was. He goes, 
this this girl who's from Chicago who works at Uptown Records. Her name is Tiersa Smith. I'm gonna introduce you. when you go up there. I'm gonna give you a number, call her. When you go up there, tell her you know I'm gonna tell her your family. She's gonna take care of you. So I, I did that. I went to Uptown. I met with Tiersa. She was an assistant in the A and R department. I think I can't remember the department she worked for. And she and I hit it off because I'm from Detroit. She's from Chicago. So we had that Midwest connection. We hit it off. So Heavy D walks down down the hall and he was talking to her and he's like who, who you know who's this? and he's like you look familiar mind you i had danced with him at a bt christmas party like that december so this was like the springtime um and and Trish was like oh this is my cousin <laughs> lying we're lying this is my cousin she's in town visiting she's looking for a job he was like oh you look for a job he goes well i'm looking for an assistant um i said are you uh, he said yeah he said come to my office so i went to his office i interviewed he tried to scare me out of, out of the job, telling me how, you know, I was going to work sun up, sun down, da, da, da. And he said, he said, he'd give me a week. I had to work for him for a week with no pay. And if I survived the week, I could have the job. And I survived the week. Wow. 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 I'd only been in New York, honestly, a week. So let me ask you a question too. Like, what was going to your brain at that time too? Around like, okay, I want to be in the music industry, but like, in what capacity? Was it just like, let me just get my foot in the door and I'll figure out the rest, or were you like, I want to go? Well, it was like, let me get my foot in the door. I don't care. I really didn't care what the job was. You just want to work in music. Industry. I just knew that I had to get my foot in the door. And back then, like again, there's no internet. There's no, yeah. you know, there's no. Oh, this is my cousin. It and the music industry was the wild, wild west. When There's I got no it. LinkedIn. <laughs> no. And, and if you did, they didn't care. Because the music business was not corporate back then. No. It was not corporate. There's, you know, it was very much the wild, wild west. So wild you got in how you fit in. I was, I, listen, I would have been a receptionist. I didn't care. I just wanted in. So you said so you're working as his assistant. How long were you, were you doing that? And then was it like, because I, you know, it's funny because I always hear, and I've never worked in the music industry, but I've always heard about it. And I've always heard about like the the old guard and the new guard of kind of how it used to be and how it is now, to your point. Mm-hmm. Like, was it like, were you getting paid weekly? Was it good money? Was it just like, kind of like. Friend. I was broke. <laughs> the salary that I made was, is it, it was like below minimum wage. It, I still slept in that girl's <laughs> I still slept on her floor because I couldn't afford to live by myself. I didn't Wait, move out Wait, who are you tell mom and dad that you now live in New York? Okay, so when I got the job, so I waited for like a month because I wanted to make sure the check was, you know, because you have to wait like two or three weeks for, you know, before you even qualify to get your check because they hold what check in the rears. I had to wait to get my first check to see if this was really weird or not going to really make it through. Then I called him and go, oh, guess what? You know, I'm in the, um, I moved to New York. And the, but they knew who Heavy D was. So they were like, oh, my gosh. And they were starstruck. Oh, that's awesome. Da, 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 da. And um, so they were, they were proud of me. But I didn't want to hear, like, you know, I didn't have a plan. So when I just moved, I didn't have a plan. I just knew I was going to figure it out. Parents don't want to hear that. Oh, I know they don't. Okay, so you're working hard with a heavy D who is a pioneer. Like, 
just the stuff that he was able to do that we can reflect on now. I don't know if it seemed like that when you're working in the industry to, that, wow, we're really creating something amazing here that's going to, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip hop. I was yeah, like, wait right. a minute, I'm older than hip hop. How is this possible? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to know, like, you, so you've seen this industry really grow and change. So you start as an assistant and then you end, I don't know if it's a direct line, but you end up at Atlantic Records and you figure out that partnerships is a job, which I'm sure you didn't know partnerships no. was a job. How do you get into partnerships and what was that transition like? So you must be, you tell me, I don't have to keep going. <laughs> so I'll give you real, real quick how I got to Atlantic Records. So, you know, fast forward, you know, I'm his assistant and I see this, this woman, um, doing marketing. And I was like, Oh, I like what she's doing. Cause I, you know, I'm sitting in some meetings and I told him I want to do that. And he was like, well, I hired you being an assistant. I was like, Oh, okay. So I, I know that there's no place for me to go here. And at this time he was a president of town and I knew that he was not feeling it and he was going to resign soon. Um, so I started interviewing and through a Howard connection, um, a guy at a uh, Motown records at the time, Ron Gilliard was the head of marketing. So I called him, I interviewed uh, for these two women who were in the marketing department to support people. And the rest was history. Cause once I got in Motown and, and got into marketing, I loved it. Um, fast forward, Motown uh, gets absorbed into the system like they just did again. Um, and uh, I get laid off. Well, the good thing about networking and coming in as assistant, I knew all the other assistants, you know? So, um, uh, I think Puff's old assistant, um, Leote Blacknor called me cause she at this time is running Undias and entertainment calls me and say, Hey, I need somebody, um, on little Kim. It don't pay. It doesn't pay much more than what you were making as an assistant. Do you want to do it? And I was like, hell yeah. Because I knew that that marketing job would take me out of being an assistant. And I needed to someone to see me differently because by the time I was in Motown, they were about to promote me before we were, you know, all laid off. Um, so I took the role and that, you know, Undias was distributed by Atlantic records. So I was the conduit between Undias, which is little Kim and on and Biggie's label and, um, and Atlantic and the rest is history. I know John has questions. Shout out or he to didn't know everything. He knows. I didn't. I was like, I was like, do you, do you, do you know what Andrea says? <laughs> That's why I didn't end up on trivia questions. <laughs> I'll let you ask your question. Thank you. So, Joy, I'm curious to know. So, when you transition into Atlantic, which is, and I don't know who owned Atlantic at the time, but like it's it's a it's a larger label, so it's probably like yeah. the, the largest that you 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 had come across oh, yeah. at that point mm -hmm. in your career. Talk to me about like what it was like navigating through through that, right? Just as a black woman um, and just navigating through just the, the ups and downs. And hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. 
Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. The challenges and, you know, you were there for 20 plus years. I'm sure it wasn't always a cakewalk, but it was, you know, and I think the music industry also was 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 evolving too in a way as well like yeah, the sound of music was. and things like that so talk yeah. to me about because i like i feel like you had a very interesting uh foundation of the 90s music right and then like in going into like the two, 2000s it was shifting a little bit right yeah it, it definitely was so um i came to atlantic actually in february of 2000 and um you know, coming from a small indie label. So, you know, our there's this culture at indie labels or small labels that these big labels are the bad guys, right? So, you know, at, at Andeas, I'm pushing Atlantic, spend more money on Kim, you know, get, you know, fighting for her across the different departments, making sure she's getting what she needs, da, da, da. And my job is to supersede what, they, what her needs are. So if Atlantic's not doing it, then I'm doing it. So I'm wearing a million hats. Um, Shout out to you, Joy, for doing it. Doing it. You were doing it for my girl. Yes, yes. It was fun. It was a fun time. What hats are you wearing in addition to what you're doing? I'm just curious. PR, sales, um, you know, marketing, which I was hired to do. um, uh, Life coach, (laughs) you know, manager. uh, go Go get her some food, you know. All keep, the things. Keep, keep these men away from her. Like, you know, all the things. Dealing with her managers, you know, all, everything you could think of. Um, 24-7 is what I dealt with, right? Um, and then, we, you know, you go from this antagonistic relationship, which, you know, which I navigated with, you know, with professionalism, uh, or else they wouldn't have hired me. Um, and dealing with, you know, trying to, there's there's a there's a way to talk to talent that you have to learn how to do to kind of I guess translate what the label wants or what their or the film company wants so they understand it because artistic people think a little differently so it's a lot of that right so it's a lot of trying to make her understand the rationale of why we're spending this on this and why we're not spending money on this and when she's gonna do this and why she needs to do it a lot a lot of that. Um, but when I walked into Atlantic, I still had my undies little hat on. So I came in like, what, what, you know, my Tim's on like, you know, y'all going to do what I say, as opposed to realizing, oh, I work for y'all, you know, you pay my check now. Um, but I will say that I'm thankful for that experience because I think learning how to wear that many hats made me a dynamic executive because I knew what everyone's job was to was what what it looked like and what it's supposed to be because I had done it. Um, but what what I had to learn was when you work team, I worked for a team. At Indias, it wasn't a team. It was me, me, me and Jacob York and Un, and that was that was our team. That was it. So it wasn't like I came from having all this support. You know, I'm coming to a building and there are people who do the job that I was doing. So it was learning how to work work across, um, you know, across across different departments and letting people, you know, 
voice their opinion, let people drive what they're supposed to do, but still be in the driver's seat and drive the project home. And so that was the challenge of coming from an independent label to a major, a massive label with, with, with the same artists, right? So there was some transition for her too, because she had now to see, she had now had to adjust how she looked at me, which was different, you know, before, um, in her point of view, and I don't want to speak for her, but I know where we ended up was that, you know, I was, you know, I was on her side. And then when I was at Atlantic, I was no longer on her side, which is the biggest misconception. I think that that artists tend to think is that we become part of the label and we don't, we don't think for ourselves. I very much thought for myself, but what I realized is that I got to learn the business of music and not be involved in so ingrained in the, the minutia of the day-to-day little things that you do when you're at an uh, independent label, they're bigger pictures, right? There's big, you learn like, okay, we're, we're forecasting this budget based off of her soul, her, her, her albums that she sold previously and going to increase it by 20%. So this is why you only get this amount of money for your video budget. Where we're at an independent label. We only, you know, we don't get access to that. We only see what the budget is. And then we go yell at them. Like we need more money. Joy, do you think that your background as a creative a dancer, a person who was passionate about music, who had this creative spirit, but then your parents pushing you into learning business and things that are quote unquote, a little bit more tangible, helped you be able to really navigate working with an artist. So you can see multiple points of view. Did you find yourself tapping into all of that? Like, is that why you were, I would call it uh, multilingual? Well, you know, I would say this, um, I think my background did that. I think coming from an all black environment of Detroit, come, I went to school, with all white people. It was like five of us in the entire school, you know, having to still find my voice and, um, and navigate that and show up in rooms where there was, I, there was no representation and there was, you know, we want to talk about microaggressions and racism, you know, the subtleties of that, you know, then, you know, and I think also my, um, my experience at Howard University and, and I pledge too. And I think that has a lot to do with, do with, you know, um, how I learned how to handle, uh, difficult personalities and rejection and navigate, uh, relationships. I think all of that kind of helped. Um, I, 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 I think I fashion myself like a passionate person and empathetic. And I think, because of that, I've always been able to relate to the people I work with. And I think all those skills kind of work together because ultimately my heart is always in the right place. I always want people to win. I'm a, I'm a rooter for the underdog, right? And so when I work with talent, most of them were, you know, Kim was popping, but then there were times when she wasn't. And, you know, people get to, people saw her, her persona. I got to see her, you know, with all the makeup off and who she was. And when you fall in love, and you, and you know her story, you want her to win, you know, no matter what, you know, people could say about her, Kim is a good person. You know, she really loves people and she loves really, really hard. So when you hurt her, it's, she's, she's like, she's not Scorpio, but she might as well be because when you hurt her is a wrap, you know, but it's because she comes from a place of just wanting the truth, you know, and, and want, and want people to, 
deal to live with her in the truth. And it, and and I will say, like, you know, she's still an artist. You can still give her the truth and she doesn't hear you. Um, but at the end of the day, I I saw her heart. And so that to me kept me in love with the music and in love with the people who make who make the music because you can get jaded really quick. Joy, I love that. Talk to me about um your because I feel like again navigating this music industry, I would assume you had a really great network. You mentioned a few people who helped you get some jobs along the way. I want to talk about mentorship, right? Of just like, mm-hmm. who was like that person? You're like, you know what? These these people are coming at me crazy. I need to cool down. I need a vent. I need to do this. Cause I know the music industry is just, it's just oh. nonstop. Go, 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 go. Talk to me about who that, who those people were in your life that were kind of helping you just navigate that music industry life just from the beginning to, to now. And then also, um, what kind of advice you would give people who are currently in the industry and in trying to want to be in the music industry now, what kind of advice would you give them? Um, I would say like, you know, a lot of, I really couldn't say I had a mentor in the, in the, in, in the sense of there wasn't a consistent person I went to. Um, I will say I've been blessed to have people who um, respect it respected me and respected my work and were open and, and give me access to them. Um, so it, and, and so it made me actually redefine what mentorship looks like because, so I, I want to say people poured into me in a mentorship way, but, um, but I, but, and, and it, I think it's about access too. So, um, yeah, I would say like Kevin Lyles was surely one. Um, I had, um, a woman and I can't, man, I hate, to say this, but I can't remember her name. I worked, she worked briefly at Motown, she, um, and literally, like maybe it was nine months, and then she was gone. Um, Liz Lowblack was a, a one who um, I don't think she's in the industry anymore. Um, but you know, then I, there are people who were who came up as assistants who they who bought me in the game, which are like the Leotes, the normal Augenblicks. Um, you know, uh, you know, Charles Warfield, who was in radio, he was the, uh, GM of Uptown. He would, he would definitely give me advice. Um, like Damian Blyden, who big brothered me, he was the one that told me, <laughs> y'all, I'm gonna tell you this one. So when I got to Uptown, you know, there's tons of parties that that's back in the heyday. Y'all, I was out every night. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Partying. Every night. And Damien told me one day, he was like, you know, sis, you're new in this industry. You're, you're young meat. You're, you're fresh. You know, basically, you're young. You're cute. You, yeah, you don't even the club every single night. People are not going to take you seriously if you're in the club every single night. Best advice you ever gave me. I still went out, but I wasn't there every night. Yeah. So, so DD, don't yes. be in the club every night, DD. No. Listen, my club days, thank God I moved to New York as a grown-up, because I know I would have been there. I, you know, I love a, sure. lo- love I, a turn up. Listen, I remember, like, Cheetah Club was the popping. Me and my girlfriend would go, and one day we came out, and it was, like, 5 in the morning, and her car was towed. And I still had to I had that happen to me in New York, though, for mm-hmm. real. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I had New York at 9. Wait, so Joy, so much is going on at this point. You're climbing the executive ranks in the music industry. 
obviously at some point you get married and have two girls. I mean, they're young teenagers. How old are they now? Oh, they're not young teenagers. They're old teenagers. They're 17. Oh. They'll be 18 in September. Oh my God. Okay. So you are really doing the thing as a working mom, a wife, a, a rising executive, and just being a woman. Talk to us about what that was like and in new york which by the way in new york and new jersey which is tough in and of itself oh it's crazy tough. how are you like balancing all of that and yeah yeah i wasn't one thing i said when i um and shout out to julie greenwald because she's the reason why i was able to get married and have kids when i was at atlantic um and this goes back to a question you asked me before just about the ups and downs you know when i got to atlantic um it was very segregated you know, all the black people were on the 25th floor um, and we were the black music or urban music department. We actually were happy because we had each other. We were really, really close family. Um, but I didn't like, I mean, I grew up on all kinds of music. I grew up on pop music, country music. I was like, why can't I work on country music? Why do I have to just do black artists? Why can't I work on kid rock? You know what I mean? Like, why, why do I, why am I? And so I came with that too. Like, why, why are we all on the 25th floor? Why aren't we, you know? But that was that was how music was back then. You know, it gave us protection because we had each other. But it also, to me, I felt like it 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 stopped us. It stopped um, people of color from opportunities of doing stuff outside of just black music. You know, we all don't didn't grow up on black music or have interests outside of black music, which some of this still exists today. Um, so, you know navigating that navigating when I came up in the, in the culture of Atlantic, you know, women felt like we had to compete with the guys. So none of us were dating really. None of, nobody was married because there you, you, it operated in a, in a, in a place of fear. Like if I, if I'm not there to, you know, do this and I can, you know, somebody going to take my job. So you operate in that culture. Julie comes over from Def Jam pregnant on her, with her second child. And we were like, women can have babies. Like we can, we can be get married, you know? And she was like, I don't want you here. I want you to balance. I want you to go on a date. I want y'all to get married. I want you to have kids. I would say within like two years of her taking over, people got married, people got pregnant. Like it, it changed the entire culture because again, we had men running the company before and they weren't doing it wrong. It was just the culture of the industry. You know, we, we, I mean, it was nothing for me to work till 11, 12 o'clock every single night, even Friday nights. Who has time to date if you're like that? You know, um, and so like, you know, when I went out, when I got married and went out and had kids, I still felt a little bit of that, even though that wasn't existing. When you grow up, it's like an abused women's syndrome. When you're in it so long, you think that that's what it is. Um, and I came back from it, but I do feel like I don't regret having my children. I don't regret um, getting married. But I do know that if I had the same work ethic I had before I had my kids, I probably would have been further along in it as an executive because the way I was driving towards it, right? But having children actually made me balance my life better. Um, it made me look at things differently. It made me realize that, you know, I'm busting my butt for a company and artists who, at the end of the day, they, they can say they don't want to work with me anymore. So why am I, you know, sacrificing time away from my children and my marriage when, you know, you know, they, they're going to be moved on to someone else the next day. So it was, it was, it was that trying to balance that, um, 
it was, it, I made a commitment as a mom that those moments in their lives that are important that I'm not missing. Like, I don't care who it is, you know, or what's going on. I'm not going to miss it. Um, and, and it's a give or take you, I tell people all the time, like, you know, don't think that I could do it all. I didn't, you know, there are lots of sacrifices that came at my expense, um, at my children's expense, at my marriage expense. Um, we just try to navigate the best you can. And why, and while you're navigating the best that you can insert culture creators in 2016 that you found and you know, I, that's, I want to talk about the, the, why, why did you decide to kind of go out and, and create this, this, this platform, this organization. And also, you know, it, it kind of pivot, it pushes, pushes you in a, in a different level of your career at this point too, as well. And like entrepreneurship and like, it's just, I, I'll, I'm seeing now that there's this, this need to give back that you have in this, 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 you know, always. And I love that. So I want to, I want to shine a light on culture creators of just like, what made you decide to, to do that? You know, and also starting to cut you out, Joy. And then also Joy also produces this wonderful brunch every year during BET Awards weekend. And Didi, I have never been, and we better be invited this year. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless. Shameless plug. Um, you know, I would say I felt like, okay, so, you know, I got divorced. Right. And I realized in that process of losing how much of myself I have had given away and that I just wanted to get back to the little joy, the the core of who I was and a core who I, who I've always been. I've always been a person who cared about other people. I've always cared about my community. I've always been a public servant. I've always championed, you know, the underdog. Um, And so even when you asked me, we never, I never answered it, but when you asked me like this brand stuff, the brand stuff came about because back when Atlantic was segregated, there was really nobody paying attention to our black artists unless you were Brandy you know, the big ones. And so, um, we have shortfalls in our budget. You know, people want to have album release parties. They want to go on tour. You know, they want, they want, they want deals. And so there was no one giving them attention. So I just started doing it, um, out of a, out of a need. It wasn't like, Oh, let me do this. It was like, okay, my artist needs this. I need to do this. I need to find the money. So let me go out and do it. And I, at the time, no one called it brand partnerships. It was, you just did it. Um, I, we didn't have a brand partnerships division until Julie came along and Electra folded into Atlantic and Camille Hackney, who ran, who still runs the brand team, um, that, that existed. And I was like, wow, this existed. And who, who, even though Atlantic did have it, but it was so concentrated on the big guys. It was the kid rock, you know, the you know the big acts of that time so the phil collins and that that and you know and brandy you know but it wasn't really focused on ti back then it wasn't focused on trick daddy or trina or you know so so i had to do what i had to do again that small independent label mindset let me go out and get this just wear the hat and go do it and so um that that's never left me that hustle has never left me and so Fast forward, I'm in this industry, you know, I know what it's like not to have a mentor. I know what it's like, but I also know what it's like 
you know, being able to have access to Andre Harrell's and Puffy and, and them knowing you by name. Because when I got into business, we had we had conferences, we had more ways to get together. You know, digital area um, age comes apart. The people, a whole new generation comes into the business and all they want to do is email you to death. No one wants to pick up the phone. No one wants to meet. And I was like, and so kids were coming to me, you know, asking me, oh, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? And I was like, well, I just went up there and talked to them. Well, how do you, you went to, just went up to talk? I was like, y'all don't know how to do this? You know, I mean, they didn't have the hustle. Um, and so, and then on top of that, you know, I, I'm in a position, I'm a more senior executive. So I'm trying to hire, you know, people of color, get them in the business. And, you know, we had talent, third-party talent recruits saying, oh, well, we couldn't find any talented, um, we couldn't find any uh, resumes of color, we couldn't find it. Ma'am, um, you're still saying that. Yeah, they are. That's why we're still in the business doing the work. And, um, sorry about that. Um, so I was like, I came from HBCU. I know they are. They're, you just don't know how to reach them or I don't know what you're doing wrong. So my thought was, let me bring people together because I think, again, if I bring people together, we can talk in person and, you know, and, and put down our, our mask and, you know, break bread. And how can we win together? How can, how can I eat and you eat at the same time? You know, and that's how it started. It started with a party, D nice and shout out to D nice and Clark Kent. I told them the idea and they were like, okay, we in. You know, people, people showed up for me and I never thought they, I never thought they would because I never had leaned on a contact or a person I knew from me. I have always, it was always like, oh, I have this artist. Can you do this? Or I have this check for you. I never said, I have an idea to do this. Can you do, do you, will you do it? And people showed up. I was like, oh, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I was emailing people like, hey, I think we should all get together. I'm going to throw this party. Y'all going to come? People flew in. It was so, that first party was so amazing. The fire um, alarm went off because it was so hot. <laughs> and people started singing the roof. The roof was on fire because the music went off it, and no one left. It, it was an amazing time. And and, and this, this was 2016. Yeah. Yeah, it was October. And you still have your full-time job at Atlantic yep. as well. Yep. As a matter of fact, all of them came. We came in to work the next morning. None of us have voices. This is the best. Okay. So, Joy, you, and I'm sure at this point you don't realize it's actually. No, I don't know what it is. Right. You're like, I don't know that this is a thing, but I didn't know. Oh, I said, this is fun. Then people were calling me like next day. You better do a party. I couldn't make it. I'm in LA. You better do a party for Grammys. I even bought like Jessica from, from, um, back in the day who did the party. She did the door. Uh, so I called Jessica, Jessica, we got to do a Grammy party. So we did a Grammy party. Now, mind you, we don't invite celebrities. We just invite executive. Cause this, again, this is celebrating people who are behind the scenes in black culture. Like us. Right. Yo. Coming, coming to the BT weekend party brunch. Just saying. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, so fast forward LA, we have Diplo in there. We have Chris Rock in there. We have um, SZA in there. I was like, who invited? <laughs> not to be, I'm not saying not like that, but like it was like, I was like, oh, this that's is much. no. That's why I was like, people want to come to this. They want to come to this. I was like, wow. this must be something. And I still wow. quite didn't know what it was. And mind you, while this is going on, I'm still having conversations with people, and we're all like, people are like, you know, such and such did such and such, and you know, this artist took credit for it. Da da da. And, and we had conversations like, I was like, people have no idea all the work that I've done that people have seen in videos or on, 
or award stages or album shoots or whatever, would never know like those ideas, you know, came from me or I had input to that. Da, da. And so then I was like, you know, there's so many people behind the scenes that people don't know about. I said, we would, people need to have their flowers now. And that's when their awards brunch came about. Amazing. So now you're really in it because you're the two girls, the two, the, the twins, Sydney and Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You are also full-time job building culture creators and talking about balance and knowing you're still building the plane while flying it. And you're just like, oh, yeah. okay, so how did you move it forward and didn't get paralyzed by, oh my God, it has to be perfect. Were you paralyzed by perfectionism? Oh, Which I yeah, think a lot yeah. of you were. Well, here's the thing, you know, at Atlantic doing brand stuff, we part of, part of doing marketing and brand stuff, you do events. So I've seen like you plan everything perfectly and it goes haywire. So I've oh, always, I've, I, it's like, you know, there's no such thing as anything's perfect. You're going to plan and you can have the best plan. And at the last minute, something's always going to go wrong. And so I, 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 I understand that, you know? Um, so it doesn't bother me as much. Um, but I do plan for perfection, you know? Um, and I, it, it's stressful. It's very stressful, but, um, and I, and I go into events, I go to the brunch every year planning it. And every year I say, why the hell am I doing this? And then when it's over, <laughs> I'm like, what are we doing next year? <laughs> Listen, we say that at the beginning of every season. We're like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing this? You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, you, it's a love-hate thing, right? It's like, you yes. love it, but when you yes. end it, you hate it. And then when it's over, you love it again. So it's like, and that's like having a child too. You know, you go through all these labor pains, you have them and you're like, oh my God, it's so amazing. But you forget all the labor pains and how fat you got and all that kind of stuff to have a child. So it's, it's, it's very much that. Um, but it, it's, it's, um, I don't, you know, I would say I don't balance well. I, I try my best to balance well, especially being a newlywed and the, the perfect, thing about this marriage is that he has a full-time job and he's a full-time entrepreneur. So he gets the hustle because I'm hustling right with him, you know? So we're, 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 you know, Bonnie and Clyde in, in that sense. And I have to stop us sometime and say, whoa, we, we need to go on a date, <laughs> you know? Whoa, we need to like go to bed. Cause literally he will come home from work and we will both be out working till one o'clock in the morning. And my kids are teenagers and they don't care about me. They're like, mom, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so Joy, for with culture creators, do you know, like, what's what's the next five-year, 10-year goals that you have oh, for my goodness. it? What, what, oh, for that, for culture creators and for yourself, what, what do you see next for you? Well, some things I can't say, but um, I'm really excited. Fair. I have I have a partnership that's on the the rise that is going to be game changer for the business that we do. Cause a lot of people, you know, when I left ICM, people were like, I'm coming with you. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not repping people like that, you know? Um, but some, some situations have presented themselves that are, it's going to be really, really amazing. So I'm excited about the frontier of that. Um, my goal was to take culture craze global, um, and tell the full story of the, of the diaspora. Um, so I have, my goal in the next three years is to take the awards to Africa and take people from here, there to tell the full story of how all of our culture comes back home. Um, and, um, 
you know, I'm working on a couple shows that y'all can help me with. <laughs> yes, I love it all. You know, Didi and I both adore you. And so we're, anytime you need us, you you got us and we are here. You know I love y'all. Please. Even though, let me say, John stood, stood me up when I came out there for Grammys. Let me say I, that. I, <laughs> he stood me up. So nasty. But in true, yeah. in true, in true music industry form, yeah. Joy wanted to party all night and John oh, just couldn't do it. First of all, closed at midnight anyway. You were you ready. Out that late. I was there. I said, I was out there. Listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I got to get, get my grind on. I got to remind me I was still here, which it was a great trip. You missed a good party. I'm just saying. I, I'm sure I did. I know. I, I always have FOMO. It's that love hate relationship, like we always say. But, he, but, but, uh, but I was he, working that night. That's why. He stranded me. Like, he was like, okay, what's going to be nine o'clock? I said, oh, nine o'clock. Da, da, da. Okay, good. 830. Uh, ooh. <laughs> I was like, wow, we doing this? John, okay. You're going to have to concede your little win to Joy to make up for standing her up. So you crown her as the <laughs> crown her. As the, as, as the, as the, as the, the Lil Kim expert. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Joy, it has been a joy to talk to you today and learn a little bit more about, I mean, we can see your passion and love for the culture, for the community, for us. And that's part of the reason we wanted to talk to you and being able to hear a little bit more about your story, I know will serve as an inspiration to everyone listening it's almost like a master class of we need a culture creators master class where the three of us can produce yes. it and we're one of the master just we're, we're getting rid of the word master in class yep yep <laughs> we're, not, we're not gonna call anything master mm-hmm. workshop because that's what it feels like that we we had right here. So your hustle and passion and joy is unprecedented. And we love you. Thank you for coming to Black Love you guys too. Mm-hmm. Boy, tell, tell everybody where they can follow you, what they need to know about culture creators coming up. Fill us in. Well, it depends on when this airs. Um, but uh, you can follow us um, on Instagram at, it's at the culture creators. Um, I'm not so exciting. I'm at Joy Brown. I haven't decided what my social presence is going to be anymore. If you can, you can see, I only have three posts on there. Um, but yeah, at, um, at the culture creators, um, we have a college summit coming in October. I mean, sorry, April, April 21st and 22nd in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to be doing the HBCU faculty summit, um, in July to bring faculty across HBCUs and administrators, bring them into this curriculum that we've developed for film, TV, and music. Um, and we have the awards coming June 24th, um, in Los Angeles, um, we'll be at Essence. We will be in Africa this year. Um, we will be in Martha's Vineyard and we're doing the HBCU college tour. Booked and busy, booked and busy, booked and busy. Thank you, Joy, so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful. This has been so fun and so enlightening and we could keep going, but we all have work to do, but (laughs) thank you so much. And we love you so much. Thank you. you. See you guys next time. Au revoir. Thank you. 
Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.